Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coastline Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message will equip, encourage, and edify you in your journey of life. We'd love to connect with you. Please email us at info at coastlinecc.org. And for more information about our church and our services, visit coastlinecc.org. Now let's open our hearts and open God's Word. I was a youth pastor for almost seven years in South Central Michigan. My wife and I served in youth ministry, and we loved it. It was a blast. It's, it's honestly so much fun. There are times that I miss it, and then the, the rest of the time, most of the time, I don't. <laughs> it's a smelly ministry, I'm telling you. Bringing teen boys to camp. Donald just spent his first weekend away uh, with Osterville Baptist Church at their snow camp, and I saw the youth pastor said, I don't miss the smell of those boys' cabins one stinking bit, man. Emphasis on the stinking, because it's not good. But I loved youth ministry. One activity that we did um, as, as youth pastors, um, especially in the fall, Michigan has all the different seasons and, um, and things like that, fall and winters and all that. Every fall, we'd, get, we'd, we'd pump it, we'd prime it, we'd you know, announce it, and we would take our youth group, you know, 20, 30 teenagers and our workers, to a corn maze. Anyone ever been to a corn maze before? Okay, listen, it's probably a white people thing, man, I'm telling you. It's, it's really kind of a dumb idea, let's just be honest. Okay, I'm, I'm being real here, okay? I look back, I'm like, what was I thinking? Okay, so it's some farmer who's trying to make a buck, maybe had a bad season, takes his corn, his corn field and like cuts out a big maze with all these different wrong ways to go. And like some people do like designs, if you look at it from up in the sky, you'll see like, you know, John Wayne's face or something rednecky, who knows what it is, but it's just like, it's a corn maze. And there's one entrance and then you gotta go through and find your way and it can take hours. So me being a smart youth pastor decides to take a bunch of uh, teen boys and a bunch of teen girls and say, all right, let's go get lost in this corn maze. And, everybody, and, and I wasn't like with them all the time. You get 30 teens. I'm not, we're not all walking in a group. We're all trying to get out first. Looking back, I'm like, so I just sent a bunch of teen boys and teen girls into a corn maze where they are supposed to really get lost? Man, that's really not really good thinking as a youth pastor. I'm like, man, they've been in there a long time. <laughs> What's going on? And I'll tell you, so we'd go in. I remember our last trip, Marissa was probably eight. No, it was October. She was nine months pregnant. And we just were looking at pictures. And she's, she's you know, Complete nine months pregnant, me and my buddy got lost. We ended up like cheating our way out, like breaking through this corn socks. I'm like, I'm, it's getting dark out. I'm getting freaked out. Marissa and her friend made it all the way out. And this isn't just like a simple, this is like challenging stuff. They, this is a picture of Marissa, big pregnant belly with her friend. Like, yeah, they made it out the exit. I didn't. But for a corn maze, there's only one way in, there's only one way legally out. If you're going to cheat like me, it's different. There's only one way in and one way out. In John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking this morning, and he's talking about huh, the one way. Let's read the scriptures together. John 10, we're going to read all these verses. We're going to, we're going to um, stop along the way and talk about it. So do your best. This is the introduction. This is the outline part of where we're going to just go through the scriptures. Because every Listen, I'm going to say this too. When I'm going through the scriptures, especially the Gospel of John, and really any book of the Bible, we have to remember that this was written for a group of people 2,000 years ago. The Word of God is for us today, yes, but originally, when it was written, that was for a group of people. That was for a specific group of people, for a specific culture, and a specific time. Does it apply to us today? Yes. But before I just apply it to us, I have to let you know the context of it, what, what it means. I'm not just going to make up stuff. 
There'll be application, yes. Things that we can learn for 2023. But originally, it was for these people. The words that Jesus said, he didn't say them yesterday. No, he said them to a group of people 2,000 years ago. So I'm going to do my best, read through them quickly, talk about what he's trying to say to those people, and then it'll mean something for us. John chapter 10, and verse 1, Jesus is speaking. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of of strangers. Verse 6, this parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Jesus always spoke in parables, didn't he? He would tell stories, metaphors, and, and oftentimes people just were like, huh? Like, what is he talking about? Jesus is speaking about sheep and, and sheepfolds and gates, and the people are like, what's going on? Remember, he is still in the same spot he was at the end of chapter 9. He had just healed the blind man. Remember the message on the blind man we talked about last week? He's still with that same group of people that began to doubt him and, and wonder what he do. Remember they went and questioned the parent and said, he did it on the Sabbath. He, he's not supposed to do that. This guy must have had sin from his birth. What's going on? He probably wasn't even blind. These people were trying to catch Jesus. This is the same group of people he's still talking to them. At the end of chapter 9, they had said, uh, these Pharisees, these religious leaders who thought they were so much better, had said at the end of chapter 9, um, are we blind also? Because Jesus was kind of calling out, and he says, almost like if the, shoe fit, if the shoe fits, you know, kind of thing. And then he continues talking in chapter 10. So it's the same group of people here. The thieves and robbers that he mentioned there in, in verse uh, number uh, 1, that climbs up another way, that, that tries to do it a different way, those are the false teachers of that day. See, it wasn't just Jesus going around preaching. There was a whole bunch of false teachers, uh, uh, people trying to make money, people that, that would try to do miracles, but only if they were paid a certain amount of money. There were the Pharisees who had all these made-up, man-made laws that they had added to the Scriptures, the Old Testament covenants and things like that, that they had added, like, don't do this on the Sabbath, don't do that, you can't wear this kind of clothes on this certain day, or they made up all these things. Those were the thieves and robbers that Jesus was talking about. The sheep is us, is those people that he was talking to, the sheep. The shepherd, who do you think the shepherd is? Who is it? Jesus, yes, Jesus is the shepherd. So verse 7, he says, Then said Jesus unto them again, when they didn't get it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. So not only is he the shepherd, but he's also the door, the way. John 14, we're going to get there in a few weeks. He says to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's, he's the way. Verse 8. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come, and hear this church, stay with me, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus is talking to these people with the religious elite leaders there, the Pharisees there, and other false teachers, they are listening, trying to catch him in something. He's saying to them, this old way, this old law, it does nothing for you. You know, all these extra things that they're trying to put you through, this, this, this isn't it. 
You can never achieve. You'll never be perfect. You'll never follow every part of this law that they've added to. You'll never be able to. You'll always fall short. And he's saying, but I'm here. I'm the shepherd. I'm the door. I'm the way in. The only way in. I can, I'm come to give you life. And not just eternal life, but, but abundant life now. A life that you never dreamed of. He was giving this message to Really a hopeless people, the children of Israel, the Israelites here in Jerusalem. And that's where he's at in Jerusalem. And you can still, by the way, go. I would love to one day go to the Holy Land, to Israel, and walk where Jesus walked. And see, you know, the pool of Siloam that we talked about with the blind men washing his face. That's all still there. You can see it. Jesus is there and he's talking to this group of people that, that always feel like they're falling short are always looking over their shoulder like, I hope I'm doing everything right so that, so that God is pleased with me, so that I, have a, I can be with him one day, Jehovah, Adonai, their God. I, I hope that I'm making him happy. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. That, that's, that's, no, I'm come to give you life. These thieves and robbers, these false teachers, all this, man, that's not the way. Verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. See right there, verse 11. And this is another I am statement. He'd already said, remember, a few chapters ago when he's talking to the religious leaders? And they said, wait, you know Moses? You were only 50, not even 50 years old. He goes, I am. Which was such a profound and, and really risky statement. Very scandalous to say that, to say I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus said this. And this is another one of his I am statements here. I'm the shepherd. In verse number uh, uh, 11, he says, And the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling, verse 12, not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. These thieves, those times with the shepherding back then, and those in the uh, western shepherds, it was different. Western shepherds kind of used sheep dogs or, or animals and they would kind of, kind of get behind the sheep. Eastern, in the Eastern culture here in Jerusalem, those shepherds led the way. Their voice, the sheep knew them. That's what Jesus is saying. That's why he's using this illustration for these people because that's what they understood. But this hireling, this hired hand, this doorman, they weren't the shepherd. It wasn't the same thing. So if a wolf or an animal came to attack, that guy was gone. He's like, these aren't my sheep. I'm just, I'm just kind of paid to watch the door. I'm out of here, man. The shepherd wouldn't do that. He would give his life for the sheep. And that's what these false teachers were, these hirelings, all always for a reason. I mean, the second that danger came, the second that someone came against these guys, they were like, okay, no, no, no. They really didn't care about the people. They cared about themselves. Verse 14, Jesus again says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep I'm, and, and, and am known of mine. They know me. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, verse 16, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Now this again, scandalous statement from the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, the people of Israel, especially those Pharisees that had led them in this way, they were the chosen ones. They were God's chosen people. And because of that, everybody else, every other nationality was kind of like, well, they're not chosen. We're the Israelites. We're the people of God. We're the ones that matter. Man, these blessings from God are for us. Not for the Gentiles, which is really anybody that wasn't an Israelite. But Jesus is saying, no, there's other sheep out there that aren't in this fold. And I want, I'm going to be their shepherd as well. 
Think of the people, what they, the way they were brought up, the way that everything they knew, especially these religious people that thought they were so much better, and, 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 and man, they just how much hatred and really blatant racism against other nationalities that weren't Israelites. I mean, these people, it was just not good. And he's saying, I'm bringing them into my fold. There's going to be one fold and one shepherd. His love, his life given, not just for the Israelites, not just for God's chosen people, but for the whole world. Verse 17, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. We know that Jesus went willingly to the cross. Was he arrested? Are we going to see that in the Scriptures? Yes. But it was his choice. He knew what he came to do. Verse 19. There was a division, of, therefore, again among the Jews for these sayings. Many of them said, He hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Verse 21. Others said, these are not the words of him that has a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? So people were, again, some doubted. This, can't, this guy's got to be demon-possessed. He's just saying crazy stuff now. And others were like, no, like, can a guy that's demon-possessed give sight to the blind? So here, there's a break in time. Obviously, in our Bible, we just go right to verse 22. But there's about a several-month break in this story now. So we're fast-forwarding now a few months. Verse 22, and it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of Dedication, it was winter. This is uh, Hanukkah. We know it as Hanukkah. It's the same time frame here. Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him. Again, this is months later after he said all this stuff. And they said this, how long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. If you're the Messiah, then just tell us plainly. Just be real with us. Are you the Messiah? Again, this wasn't this... Coming to him like, are you the one that's here to save us? This was more like a, come on, you've been saying a lot of different stuff, a lot of crazy stuff. Are you the Messiah? Just tell us if you're the Messiah or not. He hadn't specifically said the word Messiah to them because he knew. Remember, we've talked about it. We've talked about this over the last, oh my goodness, a year. Their definition, the Israelites, these people at this time, their definition of a Messiah was someone that was going to come as a military leader and destroy the enemy. Destroy the Romans that had them under this oppressive rule. So that was their definition of Messiah, that he was going to come and save the day and give God's people their freedom back and we're going to be on top again. That's what they wanted from Messiah. So Jesus hadn't really used that word with them because he knew what, they, what it meant to them. But not only were they asking it like that, they were honestly asking because they wanted to call him out for some type of blasphemy. If this guy says he's the Messiah and that he's sent from God, that he is God, they were trying to catch him. They were getting tired of him. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. He's like, it's the proof's in the pudding. He's like, I've done the works. I've done the miracles. Verse 26, but you believe not because you're not of my sheep. As I said unto you, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Verse 30, another big statement. He says, I and my Father are one. He had said these things before, being sent from God, being one with God, and they hated it then and they hated it now because look what happens, verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him, to kill him. Verse 32, Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you show me? It's kind of like this beautiful, sarcastic question. 
He's like, I've done a lot of miracles, helped a lot of people. So for what like miracle or good deed are you stoning me for? I'm just, I'm just checking with you. Like, because he didn't do anything wrong, did he? Verse 33, the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that, thou being a man, makest thyself God. They're saying, you're being blasphemous. You're saying that you and the Father are one, that you and Adonai are one. That's not true. You're just a man. You're just Joseph's, you're the carpenter's son. You're just Mary's boy. That's all you are. Who do you think you are? Verse 34, Jesus answered them. And he goes back to the Old Testament here. Again, I'm, br I'm pushing through these churches so we can get to the, the meat of the message. So stay with me. You need to, by the way, I'm going to say it again. It's important for us to know the context and know what's going on in these stories and not just pick little phrases out and use those, but to really know what the scriptures are saying. There's, there's beauty and there's grace, and this is the word of God. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are God? He's pointing back to Psalm 82. We know the Psalms. I love the Psalms. And they had the Psalms at this time in the New Testament. He said, in, in Psalm 82, there were the judges of Israel thousands of years before. Before Jesus came, when the prophets were there, the Old Testament time, there were judges over God's people. There was no king. Before there was a king, King Saul, King David, there were judges that ruled over God's people, that took care of things. And unfortunately, those judges started to get things out of whack and started to do things a little bit shady and not be... And, and God, the Father, called these judges little g-gods. Ye are gods. And, and it was almost like a, I'm going to punish you and take care of you because you're not doing the job that I've called you. This is back in the Old Testament. So Jesus is kind of using this as like, hey, verse 35, if he called them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. He's like, you can't change scripture. Verse 36, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest. Because I said, I'm the son of God. He goes, God called these judges back in the day. The word of the Lord came to the judges. The judges gave the word of the, the word of God to the people. He said, God called them gods, even though they were doing it wrong. He goes, but I'm sent by God. I'm sanctified by God. I'm chosen by God to come and preach the gospel and to be the gospel for, for these people. And you're just calling me a blasphemer because I said I'm the son of God. Verse 37, if I do not the works of my father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works, the miracles, that ye may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. He's, he's just trying to like patiently and graciously say, listen, I'm sent by God. I've told you this before. You see the proof. You see the miracles. You've seen the blind given sight. You've seen the mute speaking. You've seen the lame walking. You've seen the dead raised. And you don't believe. Listen, the works are there. If you can see them, then why don't you believe that the Father is in me? He sent me, and I'm in him. And they're getting tired of him. They, many just didn't want to believe him. They wanted him to shut up. He was changing the game for them. He was changing the culture for them. They didn't like that. Verse 39, and we're finishing up. Therefore, they sought again to take him, to arrest him, but he escaped out of their hand. We don't know this, how that happened, but we know it wasn't time yet. It wasn't Jesus' time to go to the cross yet. He knew that. So, supernaturally, something happened and he was able to slip away. Verse 40, and he went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode, there he stayed. And many resorted unto him, verse 41, and said, John did no miracle. John the Baptist, remember he came and pre prepared the way for Jesus and talked about him and got him ready. But all the things that John spake of this man were true. Verse 42, and many believed on him there. Church, thank you for staying with me through that. 42 verses, it's a lot, I know. I told you we're going to get through John in the next two months, and that's what it's going to take. We've only taken a few minutes to go through all those scriptures. I hope you got the context of it. But what does this have to do with me? 
You may be saying, Pastor, that's great. What a great lesson on John 10. Now I know what it means and what it's about. But what does that have to do with me? This same Jesus in John 10 that said, I'm the door, I'm the shepherd, I know my sheep. This same Jesus is your Savior. This same Jesus wants to be your Savior if you haven't accepted Him. And we can make some beautiful, helpful, challenging observations about our Jesus from John chapter 10. Did this happen thousands of years ago with these people in this time in Jerusalem on Solomon's porch? Yes, it did. But it means something for us today. I'm going to give you quickly five observations about Jesus for us today that we see in this passage. Number one is that Jesus is the only way to real life. To real life. By the way, I'll remind you, in front of you, you'll see that little note card there. That's for notes if you'd like to take notes. I encourage you to take notes. I said it last week. I'll say it again. I don't remember what I preached two weeks ago. So I don't expect you to. But God has something for you. And sometimes just to write some things down, write the main points down, carry it with you in your Bible, and you can look back and you'll need to know, maybe in a few weeks, when you're struggling with your life and your purpose and wondering what's going on and why isn't this happening, and you can look and say, oh, you know what, I forgot. Jesus is the only way to have abundant and real life. So that's just a challenge for you. That's just a, a help for you if you can do that. Verse 11, we saw that Jesus said to the people, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life uh, for the sheep. Verse 8, he says this, All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep, they don't know, all these false teachers. Verse 9, I'm the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not. These false teachers, man, they're in it to destroy you. They're just making you feel bad about yourself with all these extra laws. But he says in verse 10, I am come that ye might have life, that you can have life, and that you can have it more abundantly. You can have abundant life. Is Jesus the only way to life eternal in heaven? Yes, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is he the only uh, uh, way to real life now, for my life now? Yes. But what is real life? What do you mean real life? What do you mean abundant life? The New Testament was written in the Greek language. Okay? The Greek, that's important to know. Because sometimes we can look at words like abundant, and we can, uh, abundant life, and we can say, okay, well, what did that mean when it was written in Greek? What's the definition? The Greek definition for that word abundant means this. Exceedingly very highly, beyond measure, more, superfluous, a quantity so abundant as to be considerably more than what one would expect or anticipate. And Jesus is saying, I'm come to give you life. Yes, life eternal in heaven. But I'm coming to give you the life that you could never even dream up. The best life even beyond what you could ask or think, I'm come to give you that life. I come to give you a life of peace, of real, authentic, lasting peace. I'm coming to give you a life of joy, joy in your darkest days, even when things aren't going right. I'm giving you abundant life of joy, a life of love, where not only will you feel loved, but you can pass that love and be a conduit of my love to other people. I'm come to give you that life, a life of hope, where you can have faith, where you can trust, where you can walk through a wicked world with hope in your heart, knowing your purpose. Church, Jesus is the only way to real life. 
that's not, not just me saying what the scripture is saying. Number one, yes, he said it, but I'm telling you from personal experience. Listen, I, I lived the Pharisee life. I was the thief and robber early in ministry, early in life. Always trying to do the next best thing. Always trying to make sure that I measured up to whatever standard I created so that I felt good about myself. And if I can do this and do that and, and sing this good and, and preach this good and read this many chapters and pray this much and, and, and give tracts out to this many people, then I'll know that I'm a good Christian and that God is happy with me. And guess what? I never felt like I measured up. Because you know what? I'm wicked, aren't I? I'm not perfect. So I could do all those good things, which, by the way, it's great to pass out tracts. It's great to read your Bible. It's great to pray. Those are all commands of God. But when you're doing it so that God is happy with you, that's where everything starts to get all mucky. Because guess what? In the midst of all those good things I'm trying to do, I'm still a sinner. I can still be a jerk. I can still struggle with lust or pornography in those times. I could still uh, uh, not be a, a good friend as a teenager or be disrespectful to my parents as a teenager, all trying to do all these good things so I feel good about myself. Never measuring up. It was always this pull, this tug of war. I never felt like I had real life. Until, until I really met Jesus. Had I preached about Jesus for many years? Yeah. Had I, had I grown up in church my whole life? Yeah. Hey, was I saved and, and a child of God? Yes. But I had never really gotten out of that baby stage. I'd always kind of stuck in that religiosity, that religious life of just trying to feel good, trying to measure up, never really being open or transparent, never having freedom from sin. And like I mentioned a few weeks ago when we talked about the lies of the enemy and I shared my testimony with you about addiction and how God rescued me, God finally rescued me and began to show me who I really was. And yes, that's a scary thing to feel like, wow, I am kind of a mess. Wow, I'll never measure up. But then also, realizing that God says, I'm not asking you to measure up. I'm asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to love me. I'm asking you to be real. I'm asking you to depend on, on my son, Jesus Christ. And I finally realized, wow, it's not about me doing all these things to feel good. It's about me letting Jesus rule in my life. It's about resting in him. It's about recognizing that he's the only way to real peace. Reading my Bible through in three weeks isn't going to give me real peace. It's probably just going to make me really tired. Resting in Jesus depending on Jesus, giving my fears to Jesus, uh, uh, struggling with anxiety, but all the while uh, trusting in Jesus and, and saying, well, I'm going to be okay because, because he's okay. He, he, he's, he's with me. He walks with me in this life. And over the last four years or so, before we moved here, God began to do this work in me, began to show me what abundant life really looks like, what it really feels like. Man. Listen, I'm, who wants, who, listen, how many here want abundant life? Anybody here want abundant life? It's found in Jesus Christ. It's only found in him. It's only found in him. And he calls us to greater things. He calls us to openness. With each other, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not always trying to be the best Christian. Isn't that funny how in church we're like, everybody's welcome the sinners are welcome. Come on in. But then we really try our best to not look like a sinner at all. We try to make it look like, I'm great. Like, come to my church. Sit next to my seat. Hopefully it's holy enough for you. You know, you're just, we do that, man. 
It's so subconscious. It's so natural for us. I don't know why. It's just pride in us, born into us from the, our sin nature. But we are so like, we want to help the sinner find Jesus. And yet, we always make sure that nobody knows that we're a sinner. I'm not doing that, man. I've said it a billion times. I can be a real jerk sometimes. Ask Marissa, she knows. Right? I'm just going to be real. I struggle with, 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 with sin, with pride, with, with, with stress, with anxiety. Just like you do. I'm just not going to hide it. I'm not going to. Because it's just there and God's going to help me with it. And he does. Jesus is the only way to real abundant life. A life you could never dream of. We want that. What else? So verse 11 we see, not only is Jesus the only way to real life, but Jesus cares for me. Deeply cares for me. John 10 verse 11, he said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. A shepherd at that time cares for the sheep. Till death, they'd fight off wild animals and thieves and all these things. Man, they'd stay at that door and make sure nothing came in, nothing came out. They were protecting. They, they genuinely cared for their sheep. They would protect them. They, would, they loved them. Man, that's just the way it was. That was the life of a shepherd back then. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus cares enough about you, church, like he cared about these people standing around listening to him. Even the fair that wanted to mock him and ridicule him and catch him in something and, and call him a blast. He cared about them too. He cared about you enough to fight for you, enough to lay down his life for you, to die on a cross for you, knowing that one day you would doubt him. He still went to the cross for you and for me. Jesus cares for you. Even when the storms would come in these days of the shepherd in Eastern culture and those sheep wouldn't know the way, and it would be dark, and it'd be scary, and they're just dumb sheep, man. I'm a dumb sheep. And listen, they wouldn't know what to do. They were scared. They're but guess what? The shepherd would lead them by his voice. He, they knew his voice. He said, my sheep know my voice. They follow me. And in those dark times of life, that shepherd cared so much about the sheep, he'd lead the way with that staff, with that loud voice. He'd say, come on. And the sheep would follow him in church. I'm asking this morning, are you listening? For the voice of God, the good shepherd in your life, we're the sheep. Are you listening for that voice? The shepherd, church, the shepherd is present in your life even when you don't see him. The shepherd is present. He is there in your life even when you don't see him. He cares for you in this season that you're in. He cares for you. And whatever else comes your way, he cares for you. Know that, church. Hey, know that and believe that in your heart today that even in this season of life, He cares about you. Church, turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus cares about you. Come on. You don't have to whisper. Come on, do it again. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus cares about you. And I'm going to say to Matthew, hey, Matthew, Jesus cares about you, big boy, okay? Jesus cares about you. What else? So let's look. He cares about me. He's the only way to real life. What else? Jesus knows, oh, Jesus knows the real me and loves me still. Jesus knows the real me and loves me still. I had the point originally written out, directed to people, like Jesus, love, Jesus knows the real you and loves you still, and Jesus cares about you, and and, and as I'm studying and taking notes, I'm like, no, I'm going to make this personal. Because when you write anything down, I want it to be personal for you. And I want it to be personal for me. 
That's why I switched the you's to me. Jesus knows the real me. He loves me still. The shepherd loves his sheep. No matter what type of sheep. You hear that? No matter what type of sheep, even the one, even the sheep who ran off, we know the par- another parable that we might get to in the Gospel of John. It might be in another Gospel, but the 90 and 9, the one sheep that ran off, what did the shepherd do? He went and found the one to bring him home. He loves his sheep, even the ones who ran off, even the dirty sheep, even the broken sheep, the hurt sheep, the lonely sheep. You are not unlovable. Someone needs to hear that today. You are not unlovable. You are not unimportant to Jesus. You are not unimportant to this church. Hey, you are not unimportant to this pastor. You are loved. Jesus knows the real me, hallelujah, and loves me still. And Jesus does know you, the real you, and loves you still. The dirty sheep, the broken sheep. Listen, you with your secrets, you with your self-doubts, your guilt, you with your shame, your brokenness, your depression and anxiety, your past all your insecurities of, of trying to be a good parent, of trying to be a good spouse, a good husband, a good wife, a good employee, all of those feelings, all of that, all the real you, Jesus knows it, and he loves you still. He loves you still. Oh my goodness, church, I've been in this place. You think so low of yourself. You think so low of yourself that not even God could love you or use you or care about you. And I'm here to say this morning, if that's your heart, where you think so little of yourself, maybe you don't doubt the love of God, but you're like, well, I know he loves me, but he definitely couldn't use me. I'm here to tell you that you're wrong. As your pastor, you are wrong about that. He does love you. He does want to use you. Your life, every one of us here, He wants to use your life. He loves you. You are loved. Even in all, listen church, even in all my addictions and lies and arrogance and pride that I lived in for so long, he loved me. He loved me. Even when I was preaching the gospel to teenagers and leading singing at big youth conferences, but it was so broken and and, and, and lonely inside, so ashamed of who I really was, he loved me. He rescued me. Jesus knows the real you, and he loves you still. I'm getting you involved this morning, church. I want you to say this with me. Jesus loves the real me. Would you say it with me? Let's say it together. Jesus loves the real me. Can we say it again with some oomph, like some belief, some faith? Let's say it together. Here we go. Jesus loves the real me. Believe that this morning? Then let's say it again together like we really mean it. All the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's say it again. Here we go. Jesus loves the real me. Good job. Next one. Jesus' love is for everyone. It's for everyone. Verse 16. What did he say to him? Remember, this is the risky statement he says in verse 16. Other sheep, other sheep have I have, which are not of this fold. And them also I must bring. And they're going to hear my voice, and they're going to be one fold and one shepherd. He's bringing everybody in. Not just the Israelites, no, but the whole world. And that's something to be glad about, church. That's something to be excited about. It's not just for us. It's for, for everybody. For everybody. The love of Jesus 
is for everybody. Yes, it's for us, hallelujah, but it's for everybody. Vision Sunday, we talk, and I hope if you weren't here for Vision Sunday, you went back and listened to the message because we had so many beautiful goals that we have and ideas to reach out to our community, uh, the things that we're going to do with the special needs outreach and, and, and with our worship nights and, and with these prayer teams and with these ministry teams and, and with all these different things for different holidays and just reaching out and loving our community. Listen, talking about bringing a friend, we have that bring a friend slide and things like that. We got to get to work, church. We got to get involved. We, we, man, we got we to gotta believe that his love is for everyone and then go out and show it. Listen, so that a life can change. Getting them here in the house of God. So listen, there's people out there that need to hear that the only way to abundant life is through Jesus Christ. People that you know, that you love. There's people that need to know that Jesus cares about them. And they're not here today, but let's get them here. So a life can change, so a heart can be mended, so a soul can be saved and, and have eternity in heaven, so a marriage can be restored, so a past can be redeemed. We have got to believe that his love is for everyone and then act upon that knowledge. His love is for everybody, even your enemies. Even the people that can't stand you and that you really can't stand, his love is for them too. Do something for me. Take that card out in front if you don't, if you don't already have it. There's a card in front of you. Unless you're holding a baby, you don't have to do that. Take that card out. There's a pen there as well. I want you to write a name down of somebody that God is putting on your heart right now that needs him. Think about it. Just think about it. Say, Lord, bring some to my mind. First one that comes to your mind that, that's local, write that name down. Think, say, God, who is someone in my life, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, somebody, 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 who is, who is it? And I want you to write that name down, someone that needs the love of Jesus, someone that needs the love of Jesus. Write that down, okay? Put it on, put it on that piece of paper, and this is what I want you to do with that paper, because don't leave it here. Take that paper home, and tonight, before you go to bed, pray for that person. Will you do that? Pray for that person. Well, give me an opportunity. Help them, to, help them to see your love in me. Pray for that person. And then tomorrow, Monday, sometime, pray for them. Put it on your fridge so you don't forget. Pray for that person. Say, Lord, uh, uh, help them to, to see you and to know you. Lord, help there be some way, whether it's through me or through something else, help them to know you and, and know your love. And then on Tuesday, do the same thing. And on Wednesday, do the same thing. And on Thursday, after you pray for them through the whole week, I, I double-dog dare you to invite them to church with you next Sunday. Telling you, pray for them, and they may say, oh, "I can't do it." But I'm telling you, just pray. God help them to to find you. Lord, help them to be able to come to to to, to coastline and, and hear the songs of God and, and hear the, the word of God preached and, and feel the love that's in this place. God, I want them to I want them to know your love. Hey, don't you want the people in your life to know the love of Jesus and experience the grace of God in their lives? Man, pray for that person. Right, you wrote that name down, and on Thursday, send a text, make a phone call, maybe you'll see them at work, and I double-dog dare you to invite them to church. Say, would you come to church with me on Sunday? Would you come to church with me? I'll save you a seat. It's not very long. You know, it's, it's not that bad. The pastor's not that boring. He's all right. He's okay. But the music's good. Whatever you have to say. But get them here. That's our job as disciples, as followers of Jesus. And the last one is right here, church. We finish up. Jesus' love is for everyone, yes. Jesus keeps me. Jesus keeps me. Verse 27, this is what he said. We finish up. He says, my sheep... Hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. 
And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus keeps me. We covered some of this in discipleship class, if you were part of that, early on. Something called eternal security. That once you accept Jesus, you trust in the gospel that he died and he rose again. You accept him as your savior and you are a child of God. You're saved. You've trusted in him for salvation. Once you get saved, you're always saved. You can't lose that salvation. Listen, he only died once on the cross. So we only have to ask him once. He, he died for all of our sins. That's something called eternal security. It's a beautiful doctrine that says, if I trust Jesus, I'm saved. And there's nothing. No man can pluck you out of the Father's hand. He keeps me. But not just our salvation for heaven and from hell. But he keeps us now. He keeps me. He, he, he holds me. He, he, he carries me. When I, when I don't have the strength to stand, He holds me. He carries me. That's your Jesus. He carries me, and he, He'll do that for you too. He is Jesus. He is the Good Shepherd. And you may know this passage. I'm going to read it as we get ready for our invitation. He says, the scriptures say in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. Hey, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over and it finishes this beautiful passage of scripture about the shepherd. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We sing it in that song. His goodness is running after me. That's where they get that line. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Church, remember this from the passage today. Jesus is the only way to real life. Jesus deeply cares for me, for you. Jesus knows the real me and loves me still. Jesus' love is for everyone and Jesus keeps me. We'd look up here for just a moment as we finish. I want everybody here to know all of us. That's your Jesus. It's a beautiful old hymn written hundreds of years ago. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Thank you again for listening to the Coastline Baptist Church Podcast. We hope the message was an encouragement to your heart. Please connect with us through our website, coastlinecc.org, 
or on Facebook or Instagram. Send us a message, send us an email, and we'd love to connect with you. We'd also love if you could visit us for a Sunday morning service. You can find our address on our website, and our services start at 10 a.m. Our mission at Coastline is simply this, to know Jesus deeply and to show Jesus daily. I hope that we've helped you do that in your life today. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.